A few weeks ago, John Collard said something of his experiences at school. So today, I'm going to do the same. I went to Hutchie and was in the sea stream. Now, that doesn't sound awfully good. You'd think you'd want to be in the A stream, or at least the B stream, but the C stream. Well, it's not quite like that, because in Hutchie in those days, the classes were denoted by what languages you took. So the C stream studied the classics, Latin and Greek, and were, if you like, the top class in those days. Changed soon afterwards. But what's the use of learning Greek or Latin? Might be useful if you're going to be a doctor, a minister, or a teacher, or perhaps studying other languages, many of which were based on the classics. It's a bit like university. Do you study theory or practical subjects? Go to Glasgow Uni or Strathclyde or Glasgow Caledonian? Classics aren't actually much help to a doctor, apart from knowing how to pronounce plurals. Or in the old days, writing prescriptions which were written in Latin as assuming that anyone could read your writing in the first place. <laughs> Physics, chemistry, biology were much more useful. Greek has its uses. Oops. We don't seem to be moving. Ah, it's better. Yep. Like for reading Greek signs when you're on holiday in Greece or in the Greek islands. The only problem is that they use modern Greek, which isn't quite the same as ancient Greek. It's useful for reading the New Testament or for sermons. Some years after I left school, I was chatting to one of my friends at medical school, Andy Weir. Andy actually became a neurophysiologist at the INS, the Institute for Neurological Sciences at Southern General. But Andy's also a reader in the Church of Scotland. And I discovered that he sang in the choir in St George's Tron before they had their big upheaval. And he used to sing sitting beside John McKee, who was my Greek school teacher. And the problem Andy discovered is that the one thing he shouldn't do is go to church without his Bible. Because John McKee would volunteer to let him read his Bible, and in the New Testament, of course, that was in Greek. He couldn't understand it at all. So the moral of the story, of course, is if you come to church without your Bible, make sure you don't sit beside the school teacher that teaches Greek. Right, class, we're going to do a wee bit of revision now. A few months ago, John Collard told us about this word, euthius which was beloved of Mark in his gospel, which runs like an express train. Do you remember what euthius means? Anybody? No, well, euthius means immediately. Immediately Jesus was moving on to whatever. And then Gordon got in the act. Introduced us to apocalypsis, apocalypse. Do you remember what apocalypse means? 
I'll put you out of your misery. Disclosure or revelation. Well, the other word that Gordon used was eschatologos, eschatology, which is the study of the end times. And in the midweek fellowship back in the spring, I'd actually let them see what Ephesus looks like in Greek as well. I'm having trouble getting this to work, actually, Lewis. I don't know what it is. So, Greek can have its uses, but this is the first time that I've actually found Latin of any use in a sermon at all. Advent, ad to, vent, come, to come, or indeed, put it the other way around, come to. And of course, what we're coming to is Advent. Now, vent is the same as what Julius Caesar said in his famous phrase, veni, vidi, vici. I came, I saw, I conquered, when he sent the message to Rome after a famous victory. And if you do French at all at school, you might remember the verb venir, to come. I just discovered that a couple of weeks ago, out of the blue. So this is the first Sunday of Advent, when we're looking to the coming of the Messiah, the the Son of God, Jesus. And we're also looking to the start of Christmas. But what were the Jews looking for? Were they ready? Were they prepared? The first reading from Isaiah chapter 2 verses 1 to 5 talks about the Jerusalem and the restoration of the temple, which they wanted restored to its former glory. It represented the restoration of the position of Judah as God's people, the restoration of power, their place in the world. It would restore their pride in their nation as God's people. God's chosen people had strayed after David, even before then, in wanting a king in the first place, because they wanted a king rather than just a god. And they had a succession of kings, good and bad. Ultimately, they were sent into exile in a dark place, and they wanted back to their former position. And Jerusalem was the symbol of that. But even in this passage, the prophecy is pointing them to what is to come. Verse 3, teaching. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law in verse 3. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Judgment in verse 4. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. Peace, verse 4. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. And then look at the exhortation of verse 5. Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Walk in the light of the Lord? Did they really get that? And was this a prophecy about the Messiah's first coming or the second coming?
And did you know what was said in verse 2? In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. All nations, not just Judah. Did they really get the message? This was pointing beyond the Messiah. Their situation was even worse in the time between the Testaments. Judah and Jerusalem were occupied by the Romans. They wanted freedom from oppression to rule themselves. If they thought of God, it was that he would act, do something to come and sort out their problems. They were looking to the promised Messiah, the Son of God. The problem was they didn't get what they were expecting. They expected a warrior king like David at the head of an army of angels to drive out the Romans and restore Israel to its place in the world. What they got was a baby born of a virgin in a manger behind an inn. And later, a prophet, a teacher from Nazareth of all places, teaching about God's ways, denouncing the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the teachers of the law, the ideas, the people, the religious leaders they looked up to, implying they had got it all wrong. This wasn't the Messiah they should be looking for. This wasn't the priority for them or for God. They needed a change from dark times to light, from exile, slavery, oppression, to freedom. Most of all was their need to change from sin and failure to hope, faith, joy, peace, love, justice. What of our times? They're pretty bleak at present, aren't they? The cost of living crisis, NHS and social care under enormous pressure, strikes on all sides, teachers, rail unions, NHS nurses and staff, and the effects of climate change, the COVID pandemic, the coming problems of flu over the winter, the war in Ukraine and all that goes along with it, energy price rises, poverty, injustice, flooding, hunger, despair on every side, even dark and bleak in the winter months. Where is hope? What or who is our hope? What do other people think about this time of year? They're looking towards Christmas. They're thinking about the shopping, getting in the food, if they can afford it these days, the presents, having a family meal. But then there's the cost of living. How do you cut back? Personally, I think there is also the issue about the cost of the amount of money that's spent on presents for children. To me, it's gone out of control a bit. Issues about time, money. What do they think of Advent? Has Jesus got anything to do with it at all? Look at the Christmas clothing in the shops. What's it got? Santa, reindeer, elves, Christmas trees, snow, winter scenes. What about Mary and Joseph? What about the baby, the manger, shepherds? wise men. Where is Jesus in all of this? 
Well, of course, when Jesus ascended, he left his followers to carry on his work, to be his ambassadors in this world. And if he truly lives in us, what are we, what is the church doing to demonstrate his continuing presence here on earth? Jesus, God, has a concern for the poor. We can help through food banks, Christians Against Poverty, having a warm space in the church, which we've asked to have registered for, even simple acts of kindness for those that we know, or even better, for those we don't know. And then there's a situation of refugees from Ukraine and elsewhere, people living rough on the streets, perhaps getting help through Glasgow City Mission or Loaves and Fishes. What about justice? Do we speak out enough about racism, oppression, abuse? Hope, faith, joy, peace, love. Do we go out of our way to show people that Jesus really loves them? But as we look towards Christmas, let us think not of presents, Santa, the commercialization of the season. How do we pay for it all? But remember what Christmas is all about the coming of Jesus, God's Son, into the world to bring that light, that joy, that peace, that love. Our second reading today from Matthew 24 is a bit different. Now we're not looking for a baby in a manger, but for the triumphal second coming of Jesus, when all will be made new. But as our second reading makes clear, We've got to be in our watch because we don't know the day or the hour. There's a rather frightening picture of two men and the two women, one taking the other left. Two people outwardly similar, perhaps work colleagues, members of the same family, friends, one believing in Jesus, the other not. There's the analogy of what happened in Noah's day when the floods came or the illustration of the thief in the night. We don't know when. No warning, no signs. Even Jesus didn't know the day or the hour. That was for his father. So keep watch, be ready. Are we indifferent to the seriousness of the situation? The church, as the mission planning process makes clear, needs to have a real shift in emphasis to mission to spreading God, Christ's gospel in the world. It applies to as much to each one of us and should make us even more determined to spread the good news of Jesus' coming and what he did for us and what he offers us and everyone else, a new relationship with God, eternal life in his new kingdom. Sorry. So as we come to Christmas, will we make a renewed effort to speak about Jesus as so many of the symbols open a conversation? Why is there a star in the tree? Why angels? Why all the lights? Why so many charities looking for support for people here or in other countries, much worse off than ourselves? It gives us all an opportunity to remind, to tell our family and friends what we're really celebrating to hold up the offer of the gospel and all it entails, to remind people that the light of the world came into the world at Christmas and will come again. And will they be ready or will they be left?
All seems darkness just now in our world, but there is light ahead. Will we be a light for our community? I was hoping it was going to be a dull day today, but it's not. It's lovely and bright. But if you see this, the church from outside of an evening, the new sanctuary lights are really something. Can we move on to that picture? You'll not see it, I'm afraid, in the band, but look at the ones on the side. The lights in the sanctuary are really quite striking. The church building is quite striking at night. It's a light to our community. And are we lights to our community? What can we offer in the days, months, years ahead as we work out our calling in, in uncertain times to spread the good news to all? This is the first Sunday of Advent, ushering us into the season of watching and waiting as we journey towards Christmas. For many, this Sunday holds a growing sense of anticipation. As the nights get longer and the days darker, we are invited to imagine what the coming of Christ's light means for the transformation of the world. By traveling with those anticipating Jesus' birth thousands of years ago, and yet, we do this carrying with us the experience of living in a world already transformed by Jesus' presence. We know what it means to live in a world where Christ's light has broken into the darkness. We hold anticipation and hope together as we step into the Advent season. Let us resolve to spread the good news this Christmas. Walk in the light. Share the light of the world. Amen.